Hi everyone, welcome back to Cowboy Up. Today for episode number four, uh, we're going to continue our fall ball recap. Today we're going to be talking about the pitchers and how they came along this fall in order to prepare for the upcoming season in February of 2022. Uh, We're also going to introduce a new segment of the show called Crooked Numbers, uh, where we'll be taking a look at some obscure and random Oklahoma State Cowboy Baseball historical statistics, and that'll be a lot of fun. And then at the end of the episode today, we're going to be talking about some Christmas gifts to our Cowboy Baseball program. So hope you enjoy the episode today. Thank you for joining us. Let's Cowboy Up. The 1-1. There's a drive deep to left. Forget about it. Goodbye. Way gone into the South Carolina night. Home run, Connor Costello. Oh, I got a hanging breaking ball out over the plate. I hope I didn't knock out the window on our rent a car. Huge bomb. The stretch, the pitch. There's a drive to left field and deep. Going back is Roman. Still going back, 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 back. And goodbye. God. Grand slam, Corey Hassel. Yeah, right there. Elevated out over the plate. Get the barrel to it. Stand tall and never eat, big dog. Corey Hassel with the home run, and the Cowboys have a 5 to nothing lead. Pitch, swing and a miss, strike three. That's a ball game and a Big 12 championship once again for the Cowboys. Yeah, all started on the mound. Got a big-time quality start today by Brett Stanley. Turn it over to Basso. Huge double play left on left to getting a great hitter in Darius Hill at a 3-1 to game. And then right there, Battenfield probably a little bit on fumes. Throws that ugly one up there and gets the strikeout. All right, everyone. Uh, Today for Cowboy Up, we're just going to jump right into it. We're not going to waste any time getting into today's episode. So we're continuing our fall ball recap. Last time we talked about the position players and how some of that, uh, some of those position battles were uh, shaken out going into Christmas break for those guys. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the pitchers, and I'm just going to jump right into it on what really stands out to me about this pitching staff that we're returning uh, for the 2022 season. Uh, We have several guys who are proven commodities, and I'll get into that here in just a little bit. I feel really good about where some of these guys are and what they proved uh, last year, especially down the stretch. Um, But I'm going to start out talking about uh, some of the newcomers that I think could be instant impact newcomers. Uh, The transfer portal was pretty good to us, and uh, we really were able to add some arms that I think are going to provide a lot of value for us in 2022. Um, A lot of you probably already know the the big headline grabber for our recruiting class as far as transfers are concerned uh, would be Victor Medeiros. Uh, Victor Medeiros from University of Miami. Um, didn't necessarily have the type of freshman season that he uh, was expecting, but at the same time, we know that the talent is there. We know that the competitiveness is there. Uh, had the opportunity to read some articles about him. Very impressed with uh, with the makeup of this young man. Um, he's a true competitor. He's a workhorse. I expect really big things from him. Um, and, and we'll kind of get into a little bit later on where he might uh, slot in as far as our weekend starting rotation. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But obviously, he's the top newcomer for this pitching staff uh, going into the spring. Dylan Marsh, we picked him up from the University of Kentucky, another Division I transfer, lefty. 
Um, not necessarily a flamethrower. This guy is going to, he's going to hit his spots and he's going to change speeds and he's going to keep hitters off balance. And uh, I really think that Dylan Marsh might also be another one that who is really a, a serious contender for weekend innings um, as a starter. I'm not sure if he's going to start the year as a starter, but the way that Walton continues to shuffle his pitching staff as the season goes on in order to prepare everyone and get everyone ready uh, for the different roles that they might face, especially when it comes tournament time at the end of the season. I just wouldn't be surprised at all if Dylan Marsh ends up in the weekend rotation uh, for at least a while during the season. Um, But if he ends up in the bullpen, I think that he's going to be a really valuable arm for us out of the bullpen. Um, Some numbers that I saw from his fall, and and the fall was not over whenever I saw some of these numbers, Um, but just going off the top of my head, uh, I want to say that opponent's batting average uh, during most of the fall against Dylan Marsh was below 200. Um, He had some really crazy numbers. Uh, I think it was Colton Lovelace that... uh, posted some stuff out on Twitter. So check out his Twitter account if you want to see what those numbers were uh, during the fall for Dylan Marsh. But they were they were pretty crazy. I want to say like 167 batting average. And uh, I can't remember the rest of the numbers, but it was really, really impressive. And again, from the left side, uh, he's usually going to sit 87 to 90. He's not going to be a flamethrower out of the bullpen or starting for us, but he's going to be the type of guy that I think is going to be really dependable regardless of the position that Walton puts him in. Um, If he's coming out of the bullpen, uh, he could be just what the doctor ordered uh, whenever games are kind of going sideways on you. Um, He's a guy that he's, he's not going to walk a whole bunch of people. He has excellent control. He changes speeds, he keeps hitters off balance, he hits his spots. Uh, So I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm really excited about what Dylan Marsh uh, might bring to the table. Baden Root, another D1 transfer from Ohio State. So he's going from one OSU to another OSU. Uh, This guy is another one that I really think that he might play a pretty big role, um, possibly out of our bullpen. Uh, He's an experienced guy. He's got a power slider. Uh, I know that Walton mentioned during the fall that his his fastball command and velocity took a jump uh, during the fall, and so he's pitching more off of the fastball now than what he used to. So, And we all know that Rob Walton does a terrific job of teaching that power slider uh, to all of his pitchers. So it'll be interesting to see how Root... Uh, continues to flourish under the tutelage of uh, of Coach Rob Walton. I really think that, that Root's uh, best days are definitely ahead of him as a Cowboy, so great to have uh, him as well as Medeiros and Marsh transferring from D1 programs. Those, those guys are big gets for us. Um, with what we lost from this last season um, on the pitching side, uh, and, and just some of the holes that we had, uh, even maybe even during the 2021 season, as depth was cut down with some of our injuries, it really kind of exposed uh, some of the spots where we really needed some more reliable arms out of the bullpen. And it looks like the coaching staff really addressed that particular problem uh, going into 2022. Jimmy Ramsey is another one that is transferring in from D1. He's also from the University of Kentucky, so former teammate of Dylan Marsh and, of course, now current teammate 
with Dylan Marsh as well. So those guys, I don't know if they were a package deal or not, but both of them coming over from the University of Kentucky. Uh, he's really, really big build, big frame. Um, and we know that Walton has a pretty good history of being able to take those guys that have a lot of moving parts in their motions and uh, and be a, being able to get them to really bear down and, and focus on a repeatable delivery, something that's going to be more consistent. Um, he did a great job with Mike Freeman several years ago in that department. And uh, the development of Mitchell Stone has been a very interesting thing to watch under Walton. Um he battled injuries early. He was very highly recruited out of high school, um, and it really looked like his uh, days of pitching may have been even over at one point with some of the injuries that he had. Of course, as a freshman, he had a, a broken foot, and uh, that was kind of a random deal as he was stretching. I guess that was at Arizona State earlier in the year. So we lost him his entire freshman year, comes back, and then it winds up with, from what I had heard, it sounded like it was some back issues. Um, as all of you know who have played sports, if you end up with any back issues at all, uh, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing, you're going to be completely out of commission. But was able to work through that, was able to come back, and then, you know, seriously, last year, whenever those injuries hit uh, with, with Parker Scott, Brett Stanley, uh, what would we have done without Mitchell Stone? I really don't know. Um his dependability coming into the weekend starting rotation last year really helped us out. And to tell you the truth, if if we wouldn't have had Mitchell Stone available and ready to roll, uh, we may have not even made the NCAA tournament the way that things were going at the time. So Mitchell Stone has taken a huge jump even through all of those injuries with Coach Walton. Um, Jimmy Ramsey, I think, could be a potential case of another a uh, really big framed pitcher being able to come into Stillwater and being able to refine some of the some of the finer details of his technique and his delivery and uh, really be able to flourish under Walton. And then we have a few freshmen uh, coming in. We have Ryan Urey from Colorado and then Carson Binge and Drew Blake also uh, from the state of Oklahoma. All three of those uh, very highly recruited, very well thought of pitchers coming uh, out of prep school. Not really sure how many innings any of those guys will get this upcoming season. I think Carson Binge was on a throwing program in the fall, so um, but he, we'll talk a little bit more about him later on as he's a, a two-way impact player, potentially, for 2022. Um, but Ryan Urey and Drew Blake, we'll see how things shake out for those two young men. Um, going straight from high school to pitching in the Big 12 is a totally different animal. But it wouldn't surprise me if we see both of them uh, get some early innings early on against that non-conference schedule, some some uh, midweek game action, and then uh, we'll go from there on seeing how 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 they handle those particular particular innings. And then another one I wanted to talk about real quick um, that was added to the pitching staff was Solomon Washington. Uh, he's a JUCO transfer. And uh, this guy has a, a pretty good ERA coming in from Juco Ball. I think his ERA, ERA was around three, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so he's another one that he could be a, a really big bullpen piece for us in 2022. Someone who can come in and, and be very dependable and reliable for us. Um, 
So kind of bouncing from, from those newcomers into our proven commodities that I want to talk about, you know, we know what we have in Justin Campbell. Uh, it was, as a matter of fact, today, as I'm recording this uh, particular episode, today it was already announced that he's a preseason first-team All-American. I believe it was Collegiate Baseball that released that earlier this morning. Uh, Justin Campbell, we know what we've got in him, extremely durable, extremely reliable. He changes speeds, he hits his spots, and he is a very fierce competitor. This guy's attitude on the mound is really, I think, what separates him. Uh, he's He's got a lot of talent. He can bring that mid-90s fastball. He's usually going to work, though, in the kind of the 91 to 93 range with his fastball, but he can touch 95, 96 whenever he needs to. Um, comes from a high slot. Uh, downward plane is excellent. Uh, his ability to change speeds and to mix in his uh, curveball slider and changeup, really, really good. I think that if I'm remembering correctly, I read somewhere where Coach Walton was extremely proud of the development in his uh, in his changeup. That his changeup was really a, a difference maker and a huge factor for him last year to keep people off of that fastball. Um, another proven commodity, Cale Davis. This guy was absolutely nails down the stretch for us last season. Um, he's one of those that he struggled a little bit early in the season, first half of the year, and then down the stretch, really the last one-fourth of the season, he was absolutely lights out. He was dominant. He was terrific for us. Um, he really began to, to learn and lock in on how to use that fastball. Um, his fastball, I think, towards the end of the year, the way that he was using it, being able to use it up in the zone, and his ability to also get in on the hands of hitters uh, was terrific. He did a great job of that. If he continu- uh, continues to develop with his off-speed, that's just going to make him that much more dangerous. So, Cale Davis, I'm looking for a, a great season from him. I think he's primed. I think he's ready. I know that Co- Coach Holiday in the fall mentioned uh, that his work ethic was terrific. Uh, said that he really looks like a man on a mission. So uh, if that's any indicator at all, look for big things from Cale Davis, um, even to the tune of maybe even being a candidate for a starting weekend rotation spot. Um, I know that the the bullpen stopper role that he was in down the stretch last year was so, so important for us. He might step back into that role. Uh, but if we see some different people falter just a little bit uh, in that Saturday or Sunday spot in the weekend rotation, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Cale Davis step in there. And uh, I think he could do quite well. But regardless of whether he's starting or coming out of the bullpen, I think Davis is going to be a, a huge, huge factor for the success of this team. Trevor Martin, uh, last year, really, really great, strong, uh, true freshman season. Spent the summer in the Cape and did pretty well there um, from what I had read. And I would really think that Trevor Martin, um, if if I had to bet money on it, he's going to be our closer. Another really big build guy. Strong, brings the heat in the mid-90s consistently, and uh, good off-speed, especially for a true freshman last year. I thought that his his slider was really terrific, I thought. And so as he continues to polish that off-speed with the slider and then also developing uh, a, a decent change-up, I think Trevor Martin is poised for a, a great year as well as our closer. 
And I don't really want to just lock him in on that label. There's a lot of different roles that Trevor Martin could play. Um, we could see him start a few games in the midweek um, early on. We could see him take over Cale Davis's role as the stopper out of the bullpen if Davis scoots up into the starting weekend rotation. Um, so there's just a lot of different things that you can do with this pitching staff, especially if guys like Medeiros and Marsh and Root uh, come in and are as solid as what I'm expecting them to be. I have pretty high expectations for those guys, and I think whenever the spring starts, I think you guys will, will be able to see with your own eyes why my expectations are so high for them. Um, and I know that these are the type of guys that their expectations for themselves are extremely high because they've put in the work. Um, again, across the table, this entire team throughout the fall, the coaches were really hyping up the fact that their work ethic is tremendous. They're very close with each other and they love to put in the work. So I think we'll see that pay off this year. I really do. I really do. Um, moving on, Mitchell Stone, I already talked about him a little bit. Uh, really not much more to talk about there. Mitchell Stone, I think, is another really solid piece we have returning. I would look for him to have a season very similar to last year. And uh, as he continues to mature and maybe even shake off some of the rust of having those back issues and the foot injury early and all that, sometimes it just takes guys to put some things together once they get healthy. So I also wouldn't be surprised if Mitchell Stone shows a pretty big jump, but if he comes back and he's anything like what he was last year, you know that you've got a guy that he's going to hit his spots, he's going to change speeds, he's going to keep people off balance, and uh, he's got a little bit of a unique delivery to him, and he's just going to be overall that type of guy that he's really dependable. He's not going to walk a bunch of people, he's not going to hit a bunch of people, He's going to get weak contact and uh, and be able to come in and get out, whether he's out of the bullpen or starting for us. I wouldn't be surprised to see Stone starting in the early midweek games that you see, um, especially whenever we go to Arizona State uh, for two over there. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But he's another guy that if, if you have a couple of injuries, you can slot him in on the weekend rotation and he can do just fine and be real solid for you. So I look forward to seeing Mitchell Stone continue his career as a cowboy. He's had a lot of adversity, super proud of the way that that young man has continued to work through all of this. And again, last year, I don't think we're in the NCAA tournament without what Mitchell Stone gave to our team whenever he took over uh, that I believe that he took over as the Friday night guy for at least a little while. So um, again, Mitchell Stone, he's a cowboy through and through. Look forward to seeing the type of season that he has. Um, the next uh, big thing that I'm going to be talking about as far as pitchers go is I'm going to talk a little bit about some guys who uh, maybe fell on some hard times but are primed uh, to take a really big jump this season. All right. Uh, sorry for that little bit of a break there. Um, obviously, I'll go back in the episode and uh, edit some of that out. Um, but <laughs> um, I am home with my uh, little cowgirl daughter today, and we are in the midst of potty training. So any of you who have been through that or are going through that, uh, you know exactly what I mean. So I had to drop <laughs> recording this podcast real quick and uh, take care of that emergency. So we're all back and ready and good to go. 
And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and pick up where I left off. I believe that I was talking about uh, pitchers that are primed to take a big jump this year. Um, at the top of the list, we got to talk about Bryce Osmond. Um, obviously, last year didn't really go the way that a lot of people thought that the year would go for Bryce Osmond. Um, and I'm sure that he feels exactly the same way. The encouraging thing is, and I know I continue to talk about it, I know it's been a repetitive theme uh, for the last couple of episodes, but you know what? If the coaches are talking about it and really praising guys for it, so will I. Um, Bryce Osmond has apparently been working his absolute tail off uh, to be able to get where he wants to be. And I know that this guy is a fantastic competitor. Uh, He hates losing. And uh, so he's going to do what it takes to, to get himself on track. Last year, he was just inconsistent. Um, his delivery wasn't necessarily the most repeatable um, throughout the entire season. He had some inconsistencies. But you know what? When you go back and you look at um, just individual games where he really locked in and got going and uh, really found a terrific rhythm um, his performance against teams like Texas uh, stand out. He was, especially after the first inning of his start against the Texas Longhorns, he was terrific. He was outstanding. Um, against Vanderbilt, he was really, really tremendous. Got in a little bit of trouble late, ran out of gas a little bit, but uh, there were also some calls uh, that didn't go his way in his last in- inning of work against Vanderbilt. Uh, some some strikes that were called balls that really kind of uh, poured gasoline on that flame and, and created a situation where Vanderbilt was able to make a little bit of a run at us, but of course the Pokes closed that, that particular game out in the end. Um, but Bryce Osmond overall against Vanderbilt was terrific. Um, another start for Osmond that sticks out in my mind where I really thought that he was doing extremely well was his start against ORU at O'Brate Stadium last year. Now, of course, that's the game that we played, I think, four innings. <laughs> and uh, that's the game that is not going to show up on the schedule because then the rain came down and it was not able to be ruled an official game. I believe it was tied up one-to-one. Uh, whenever the rain came. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, that the Cowboys, I believe, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, Cowboys had runners on first and second with nobody out in the bottom of the fifth, I think. So we were that close to being able to get, <laughs> get through the fifth inning with a lead, hopefully, and, uh, and be able to actually register that win. But that one did not count on the books because we did not play five full innings, so uh, it just went down as a rain cancellation, but Bryce Osmond pitched really well in that game, Um, only gave up one run, and if I remember right, I think the one run was not earned. I think it was due to to an error, so um, Osmond had some really good appearances and outings last year. There were other outings that really went sideways on him. We won't necessarily dive into each and every one of those and pick them apart. It just comes down to consistency for Bryce, and I'm sure that he knows this, Walton knows this, and apparently he's really been working his tail off to get back to where he wants to be. Um, He spent a portion of the summer over in the Cape working out with Tom Holliday's club, and um, I'm not sure how many appearances he got in games 
out there, but he was able to work out some of the kinks in his delivery, apparently, and really kind of get himself back on track. I think that Holiday and Walton were were pretty um, upbeat about the type of fall that he was having. So I know that Aaron Fit for D1 Baseball mentioned that whenever he saw him in the fall, that he looked a lot better to him. Um, that he was sitting 91 to 94 with his fastball, which is really what he was throwing last year. Um, when it comes to Osmond, I don't think the velocity is the key. I think the key for him is just continuing to learn how to pitch, um, continuing that consistency, being able to hit his spots consistently, and to change speeds consistently and effectively. So um, Bryce Osmond is one of those that we know um, coming out of high school, he was so highly recruited. His talent level is tremendous and unquestioned. It just comes down to being able to put the pieces together. And uh, a pitcher from Cowboy Baseball history that I think that I would kind of compare him to a little bit is uh, Andrew Heaney. If people don't really remember, Andrew Heaney started out his sophomore season with the Pokes in the starting rotation. And his first couple of starts of the year, he looked amazing. He was great. And then as the season went along, and especially once we got into conference play, things went really sideways for Heaney in a hurry, and he finished up the season uh, not in the starting rotation. He was coming out of the bullpen, and he wasn't really even getting very many innings out of the bullpen. Um, Just didn't have the type of season that he had hoped for. And then he comes back uh, after working that following summer, and he comes back his junior year. And I'll, I'll die on this hill all day long. He was the best pitcher in college baseball in 2012, hands down. Um, I saw him and Michael Waka go at it in Stillwater. Uh, Waka, of course, attended Texas A&M. And even, even though the Cowboys lost that game in extra innings, um, Heaney flat out outpitched Waka. Waka was good. Waka was really good. Um, but Heaney outpitched him. Um, Anderson made a little bit of a mistake by leaving Heaney in for too long. Um, we had a couple of very reliable bullpen arms that we could have thrown out there, including Blake Barnes, um, as our closer and really, you know, Anderson left Heaney in for just one or two batters, uh, too long. He was a little bit gassed, but he had just absolutely dominated Texas A&M's lineup. And Texas A&M that year, I believe they went to the College World Series. They were really good. They had a great offensive lineup. They had a great pitching staff. But uh, Heaney bounced back his junior year to become the best uh, pitcher in college baseball. He was the first team All-American. Drafted in the first round by the Miami Marlins. And uh, of course, recently, I guess, was picked up by the L.A. Dodgers. So we'll see how that turns out for him. I know that he's had a little bit of an up-and-down Major League career so far, but um, he's he's been a, a starting rotation MLB pitcher for, for quite some time now, so that's not something a lot of guys get to, get to talk about. So uh, Heaney has done great. I'm really hoping that Osmond... Um, we'll be able to follow in his footsteps, put in the work, and see that work uh, really pay off for him in his what would be you know his junior year. Um, and I think Osmond is poised for that. Moving on to Victor Medeiros, um, he did not have the type of freshman year at Miami that he had hoped for. I think he finished with an ERA just a little bit above five. Um, but this is another guy that he's putting in the work. Um, he brings the heat. He's going to be upper 90s most of the time. 
And uh, I saw a little bit of one of his starts up in Chatham over the summer in the Cape Cod League. And uh, one of the things that I was really impressed with is that he was really doing a good job of staying in the zone and letting guys get themselves out. You know, he, he's a power pitcher, but it really looked to me like what he was looking for uh, was getting the ground ball outs that particular day, and he was doing a great job of it. Um, I think Victor Medeiros, you know, the coaching staff has been really, really high on him. I know that he has really uh, felt very accepted by his teammates as soon as jumping to Stillwater. He's really high on the team chemistry that uh, that these guys have, and he's a high-character guy. Uh, I believe he was born in Cuba, and uh, he's faced all sorts of adversity. So, you know, his freshman year, I'm sure he's not even thinking about that. He's thinking about going out and dominating the Big 12 this year. I think Medeiros... Um, you know, if I had to guess, he's probably going to be our Saturday guy. Um, I guess it is possible that Medeiros might slot into that Friday night spot if Walton, for whatever reason, wants to keep Campbell in the Saturday spot like last year. So look for Medeiros or Campbell to be kind of interchangeable Friday, Saturday. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, another pitcher that I think is really primed to take that extra jump, and he's a guy that his stuff really stood out to me last year, is Roman Fansalker. Roman Fansalker had a terrific fall. Uh, Walton was really praising him for the, the jump that he made, especially to Aaron Fitt at D1 Baseball. Uh, was really singing his praises about just how nasty his stuff has become. And you know what? There were a few times last year that I was watching that I thought, my goodness, if he could harness this stuff, he would be almost unhittable. So again, with Fansalker, it's just going to come down to kind of the same thing that we talked about with Osmond. It's going to come down to being able to control the zone, being able uh, to hit your spots and change your speeds, and uh, just make sure that you're limiting walks, uh, not hitting batters, things of that nature. Of course, you don't want to be splitting the plate all the time, but at the same time, I think with a lot of these ultra-talented pitchers that can bring it in the mid-90s and upper 90s, um, and Fansalker is one of those. He's, he's bringing his fastball 95-96 most of the time and uh, apparently has tremendous run on his two-seamer. Um, but Fansalker is, is just like any of these other power pitchers. He's just going to have to go through the, the growing pains of being able to figure out how to be consistent hit his spots. We know that Walton is a stickler for being able to hit your location. It's all about location, location, location with Coach Walton. And so if Fansalker is able to really get things to click, uh, he could be a tremendous weapon out of the bullpen for us this upcoming season. Uh, so he's another one to watch. Um, and then you've got your two-way impact players that, that you know, you could also see some fireworks from the mound with you've got Nolan McLean, uh, Huey Morrill, and Carson Binge. Huey Morrill um, had really good stuff whenever I saw him on the mound last year a few times. Um, of course, he ended the year with an injury. I'm not really sure what the injury was. I never heard what it was, but apparently he did not have to have surgery. Um, I'm kind of assuming that it was an arm injury, but I don't know that for sure. Um, but Morrill... The stuff is there. He's going to bring his fastball 94-95. He has a pretty wicked slider. Um, just comes down to being able to find his groove. And I know I'm saying this over and over again, but it's true. I mean, the key to pitching, changing speeds, 
hitting your spots. That's, that's really it. And the higher velocity the arm, the more dominant you're going to be whenever you find a way to hit your spots and change speeds. Um, Nolan McLean, uh, I know that Walton talked in the fall about him a little bit and uh, was really talking about how dominant his cutter is. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully he'll be reminding us all of a, a particular closer in Major League history that played for the Yankees and wreaked havoc on the entire league for well over a decade. Um, so Nolan McLean, his cutter apparently is is big league, and his other pitches are, are in the process of developing nicely. I think that Walton is pretty optimistic about Nolan McLean on the mound. Um, but we'll see how much that really comes to fruition, because, you know, as we know, if, if things really, really click for both Morrill and McLean offensively, and if some of these other pitchers step up, we may not see them on the mound as much as we might think just because, you know, you may not really need them. And if things are clicking that well offensively, if the whole team is clicking, why why mess with any of that? Carson Binge, um, true freshman from state of Oklahoma. Yes, I believe he is the younger brother of uh, Garrett Binge, cowboy helped lead us to the 2016 College World Series, and then helped uh, lead us to the Big 12 tournament title in 2017, and then also hit for the cycle against that heartbreaker of a game, uh, Missouri State in the NCAA tournament. That was just a tremendous college baseball game, by the way. I don't know if you guys remember that one or not, but of course the Cowboys got walked off that day by Missouri State, walk-off home run to right field. The wind was just absolutely howling to right field, so anything in the air to right was going to go, and that ball went out by a mile, but that was just a tremendous, awesome-to-watch college baseball game back and forth from from start to finish. Um, and so Carson Binge, younger brother of Garrett Binge, he's another one that he's going to have the ability to go two ways. I know that the coaches were really um, pretty impressed with how he did at the plate in the fall, but apparently he has some sort of arm injury, so he was on a throwing program during the fall, so I'm not really sure if he's going to be available to pitch or not this upcoming season, but he uh, pitched at a very, very high level in high school, and I think a lot of people coming out of high school really thought that Binge, that his future was going to be on the mound. So as things shake out there, we'll, we'll see what happens with Carson Binge and where he fits in with this particular team and going forward. Uh, but the pitching talent is certainly there. He just has to get off, uh, you know, get uh, going with a particular arm injury that he had in the fall. But again, apparently he swung the bat really well uh, during the fall for a true freshman. So kind of keep an eye on him there. He might be able to be plugged in uh, every now and then offensively for the Cowboys in 2022. So I believe that that really kind of concludes the breakdown of the pitchers that I wanted to talk about. I hope that I didn't really leave anybody out um, that I wanted to talk about. Of course, you know, you've also got some solid arms returning uh, that I didn't really mention. Um, Colton Bowman is one that comes to mind. I would imagine that he'll still be a lefty-on-lefty specialist. Uh, he did a pretty good job for us last year. If he continues to develop, he's another one that he's he's going to be a big part of, of our bullpen and put in some probably some pretty high-leverage situations against the left-handed hitters. Um, and then Ryan Bogus is coming off of an injury, um, apparently was looking pretty good in the fall. 
Um, his true freshman year in 2020 early, he was looking pretty good, I thought. And then, of course, you know, the 2020 season got canceled, and then 2021 he was hurt. So he's back and throwing. He's another bullpen piece for us. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about literally every pitcher on the roster, but those are two guys that I didn't want to leave out either. And uh, so now moving on to our next segment of the show, and I'm kind of excited about this one. Uh, this one, I think, is is going to be a lot of fun. I may not do this in every episode going forward, but every now and then, I, uh, I will. All right, I apologize. So interruption number two in the middle of episode four of Cowboy Up. I hope that you guys can forgive me for all of this. Of course, I'll I'll try to edit this the best that I can. But uh, this particular episode, yeah, <laughs> some uh, definitely some interruptions. So let me kind of regather my thoughts here. All right, so we were talking about uh, the next segment of the show. I'm going to call this segment Crooked Numbers. All right, so Crooked Numbers. This is going to be a focus on random and obscure statistics in Cowboy baseball history. And so there's some numbers that I wanted to dive into today. Uh, We won't make this a super long segment. We'll try to wrap it up pretty quick and then get into talking about some Christmas gifts uh, at the end of this episode. But crooked numbers, first number that I want to mention is the number five. The number five. So this is a correction. From episode three, I said that there were four programs that have made the NCAA tournament every single year since 2013, and Oklahoma State, of course, is one of those. I was wrong. There are five programs. It's Oklahoma State, Florida, Florida State, Vanderbilt, and LSU. So again, very impressive company there. Um, I hope that people really understand how difficult it is to be as consistent as our program has been, especially considering uh, that Coach Holiday and Coach Walton and uh, Coach Lees and Coach Volade and all of the other volunteers and graduate assistants and all of the people who have put in the work for our program ever since 2013, I hope that people realize uh, just how hard it is to be consistently good like what our program has been since 2013. And of course, with the new factor of Obrate Stadium and all of our tremendous uh, player amenities and everything, uh, a lot of people are expecting a pretty big jump in success. I think I would put myself in the same boat. I'm expecting our program to really take off. And uh, But I really hope that as we look to the future and expect big things, I really hope that people understand uh, just how great of a job this coaching staff has done. Yeah, there's been some disappointments along the way and all of that, but you know what? Every single program has that. Um, But I really hope that people appreciate this coaching staff. Um, Moving on to the next number. This one is super interesting. So I was listening to a baseball podcast recently. I'm not going to name any names, but it's a pretty big one out there for college baseball fans. And then I also keep up with a lot of different Uh, national college baseball writers on Twitter. And so there's still a lot of drooling going on about the season that Kevin Copps had this last year for the University of Arkansas. And I want to throw this out here first and foremost. I am not knocking this guy at all. He had a tremendous season. 
He 100% deserved the Golden Spikes Award. Um, He was the best pitcher in college baseball last year. He proved it. Like, I'm not taking anything away from what this guy accomplished. And I'll even throw out the numbers. .90 ERA and 89 and one-third innings pitched in 2021 for Kevin Copps. People are still kind of drooling over these numbers and everything that he did. Well, I want to go back to 2014. So this particular crooked number, .38. I got really curious because I remembered that his ERA was below 1 for 2014. And yeah, you've probably already guessed it. I'm talking about Brendan McCurry. Um, younger brother of Randy McCurry. And don't get me started on that. I think Randy McCurry is one of those guys that I feel bad for him because I think that, that everything that he could have been was really sidetracked, uh, by that Tommy John surgery that he had to have, uh, early in the 2010 season. He didn't even get to throw. I guess he hurt himself warming up down at Southern Cal first game of the year. But Anyway, Randy McCurry bounced back and was able to be a tremendous cowboy for us from a position player standpoint. 2013 was our starting shortstop. Who would have ever thought that? And he did a tremendous job. He really, really did. So hats off to Randy McCurry for that. But now we're going to talk about his little brother, Brendan McCurry. 2014, ERA as the closer on the 2014 Big 12 Championship Club. .38 ERA. Now, a lot of people are probably going to say, well, yeah, Cops threw a whole bunch more innings than he did. What, you know, McCurry maybe threw, what, 30 innings or so? No, he threw 47 and uh, one-third innings. 47 and one-third innings pitched against Big 12 competition. .38 ERA. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I can't say this any other way other than just to say that's absurd. I hope that people realize that whenever we were watching him in 2014, we were seeing something really, really special. And I hope that I'm able to kind of further burn this into the memories of cowboys and cowgirls out there everywhere that 2014 Brendan McCurry, my goodness, the dude, you, you couldn't score on him. You just could not score on him. A lot of people would say, yeah, well, Kevin Copps pitched in the SEC. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not stupid. I'll admit the SEC for quite some time has been the best baseball conference in America. Um, I will state that in my opinion, I don't think that the gap between the SEC and the rest of the Power Five conferences is as wide as a lot of people make it out to be. Um, But I'll throw this number out. In 2014, you had three Big 12 teams advance to Omaha. In 2021, you had three SEC teams advance to Omaha. And last I checked, 14 SEC teams play baseball. In the Big 12, only nine. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to flat out say it. McCurry's season was just as impressive as Cops. Now, am I saying that McCurry deserved the Golden Spikes Award? I'm not necessarily making that argument. But what I am saying is this. I think McCurry may have had the most underrated season for a college pitcher in the last 40 or 50 years. And I'm really not kidding. Like, nobody talked about him throughout 2014. Nobody noticed. Nobody took a look. 
Year after year, we hear about these amazing closers at UCLA, TCU, you know, LSU, <laughs> and now Kevin Copps with Arkansas. And again, I'm not taking anything away from these guys. I mean, they, they earned it. They deserved it. They put in the work. Kevin Copps is a tremendous ball player, and I'll be very surprised if he doesn't have tons of success in the majors. But Brendan McCurry's season in 2014, yeah, uh, that was really, really special. And I just wanted to throw out props to him uh, for one of the, I mean, I would even say this, that might be the most underrated statistic in Cowboy baseball history. It might be. It really might be. That's just, it's mind-blowing. .38 ERA, 47 and one-thirds innings pitched pitching in a conference that advanced 33% of its members to Omaha that year, that's that's big time. Um, definitely humongous piece to that Big 12 championship club. And, of course, they went on to win a regional as well against an excellent Cal State Fullerton team that year. And then UC Irvine came in and just ground balled us to death <laughs> in the Super Regional. I'm still upset about that one. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> All right, moving on to another crooked number, Jake Thompson's on-base percentage last year, 502. 502. His on-base percentage 2021, 502. So I did some digging just to kind of compare a little bit and see what was going on with some of the other statistics of some of our our great Cowboys in the past. Uh, Robin Ventura, 1988 Golden Spikes Award winner, had an on-base percentage of 508, and of course that was with the hot bats. Lamont Matthews, now seriously, someone on Twitter, if I'm wrong on this, call me out on Twitter, because I would love to know, but I believe Lamont Matthews was the last Cowboy to hit 30 home runs in a season in 1999. His on-base percentage was 490 for 1999. Garrett McCain, first team All-American, 2017. We don't make it to the NCAA tournament without him. Um, He helped lead us to the Big 12 tournament title that year, and of course, we don't even get into the NCAAs unless we win the Big 12 tournament. We did. Garrett McCain was the Big 12 tournament MVP that year. He had a 491 on base percentage for the entire season of 2017. So you can see that Jake Thompson's on-base percentage last year, historic. There's not another word to use for that. He had a historic season. Hats off to him. He's back. Super excited to continue seeing him grind through at-bats this year. Uh, The guy is just a master at hitting the ball where it's pitched, controlling the zone, and not chasing. He does a tremendous job. So hats off to Jake Thompson. And uh, before we move off of that statistic, just real quick, wanted to throw this out there in case any of you are wondering, and you probably already know this, <laughs> the king of the mountain of Oklahoma State baseball history and on-base percentage, of course, is Pete Incavilia. 1985, he had an on-base percentage of 594. Yeah. That's just insane. All right, moving along, final crooked number of this particular episode that we'll cover, and it's a very crooked number, 6,362. I'll say that one more time, 6,362. New OSU baseball attendance record set against New Orleans last season for the grand opening. 
The only thing I have to say about that, well, I guess two things, is tremendous job, Cowboy fans, and let's break that in 2022. I mean it. Let's do it. 2022, let's shatter that attendance record. Let's bump it on up to 7,000. Maybe when the boys, uh, maybe when the boys from Norman uh, come to Stillwater, we can shatter that record. All right, so wanted to finish up the episode. We're almost done today. Wanted to finish up this particular episode just talking about some amazing Christmas gifts. Uh, I'm reminded of the OU tight end, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but after we beat them in the early 2000s, he said, we're going to have another freaking orange Christmas. Well, this is definitely a freaking orange Christmas. So some Christmas gifts I want to get into uh, at the end of this episode tremendous gift to this coaching staff and our university. I haven't talked about him yet, but I'm going to talk about him now. Uh, new recruiting coordinator, Justin Seeley, came over from Texas A&M staff, was over at Texas A&M for quite some time, was the recruiting coordinator over there, did a great job, pulled in a whole bunch of top 25 and, and several top 10 recruiting classes over at Texas A&M. Uh, we're very blessed to have him in Stillwater now. He's a very high character guy. He really is. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, we all can uh, get excited about the wins, get down about the losses, and, you know, that's that's what we do as fans. We get angry about things. We get frustrated about things. But I think in the end it is important to keep into perspective that all of this is about building these young men uh, through athletics to be able to show them what it what it really means to to be a man and to have high quality character um, to come away with that college degree if at all possible and to go and make something of yourself and in the end hopefully make the world a better place and I know that I'm getting kind of heavy here but uh, guys that's really what sports are about developing young people I think we have tremendous coaches on the Oklahoma State campus that their mission is to do that and and hats off to every single one of them. I know that uh, sometimes it's really easy to get frustrated at all the losses and everything and everything that doesn't go right but you know in the end if you've got a set of coaches on your campus that are really developing young men the right way that's what it's all about. Justin Seeley is one of those so let me just say uh, welcome to Justin Seeley and his family. Appreciate him taking the position on staff, and uh, we look forward to seeing what, he'll, what he will bring to the table for this coaching staff as the recruiting coordinator. And also um, saw some rumblings about him uh, really kind of ramping up the, uh, the, the running game for OSU and being able to uh, bring some moving parts to the table. And, and uh, you know, last year we did not do a very good job of stealing bases. We didn't finish very high in that category nationally. So hopefully that's something else that, that Coach Seeley will bring to the table and just, you know, be able to entertain us a little bit more with some stolen bases. Another Christmas gift that I want to get into, um, OSU Max. OSU Max, if you don't know anything about this, uh, you need to Google it. <laughs> you need to look it up. Get on to oakstate.com and uh, take a look at what Oklahoma State University has planned for all of us fans. OSU Max, I think, comes out tomorrow. So be ready for that. I'm super pumped. I'm really, really pumped. I'm hoping that there's tons of great content on there, um, especially for baseball, obviously. But for all of our sports, 
Um, check it out. Take a look. I know I saw online some complaining already about the prices, and that's kind of weird to me. But you know what? This is a, a tremendous fundraising opportunity for our university. You know, pay pay the nine dollars for one month. Check it out. See what it's like. And you know what? If you don't really think it's worth it, then cancel. And if you do think it's worth it, then keep it. And uh, yeah, it's it's really not too hard to figure out. So OSU Max, that's a pretty cool Christmas gift. Uh, from our university to the fans. Pretty cool thing. And then last Christmas gifts that I want to talk about, every single cowboy that turned down the opportunity to play pro ball and come and be a cowboy, um, that's a true gift right there to our baseball program. You know, guys like Huey Morrill, Bryce Osmond, Zach Earhart, Rock Riggio, Ryan Urey, Justin Campbell, Caden Trinkle, and many others um, currently and also in the past, many others have turned down pretty lucrative um, financial opportunities to go and be a cowboy, whether it be for three years, four years, one more year. Uh, guys, we appreciate you. Hats off to you. And uh, that's, that's a really big gift to the fans to be able to see guys like that come onto campus and compete in that cowboy uniform and represent the orange and black uh, the the way that it's meant to. So uh, that'll wrap up episode four of Cowboy Up. Thank you guys once again for joining me on this podcast. Um, hit me up on Twitter, uh, OSUBB Podcast, uh, Cowboy Up. Make sure that you uh, get onto Twitter and, and follow or whatever. I'm, I'm consistently putting some stuff out there on Twitter that you're not going to hear on these particular podcast episodes, so I'll, I'll try to remain active on Twitter. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. I, again, I hope that I'm doing a good job with this. I am not a professional podcaster at all, but I hope that y'all are enjoying it. And uh, for now, stay safe, and y'all have a very... Merry Christmas. Take care.